These days, a lot of people are learning about the benefits of fasting, like weight loss, mental and physical performance, gut health, but they worry about the whole not eating part. Well, that's exactly why Prolon was created. Prolon is a revolutionary plant-based nutrition program that nourishes the body while making cells believe they're fasting, giving you all the benefits. This has been researched and developed for decades at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute and backed by leading U.S. medical centers. Prolon helps promote healthy blood sugar, support cardiovascular health, and reduce abdominal fat. But Prolon isn't a diet, it's science. Science based on Nobel Prize winning discoveries in medicine. And it all starts with Prolon's five-day program. Snacks, soups, beverages all designed to keep your body in a fasting state. If I was going to start a nutrition program, Prolon is exactly what I'd use. Convenience backed by Nobel-winning science that works. Right now, Prolon is offering Beyond the To-Do List listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash beyond. That's P-R-O-L-O-N-L-I-F-E dot com slash beyond for this special offer. That's prolonlife.com slash beyond. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and I'm excited to be joined once again by my friend, Todd Bashong, who also is producer, editor of the show. Welcome back, Todd. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Last time we had you on, we were doing a mailbag. That's not what we're doing this time. However, I do want to call out, we will be doing another mailbag in the future. And to get your productivity questions answered on this show just go to beyondthetodolist.com, click the contact button. You can send a message, comes right to my email, and I would love to answer your questions. That last episode, we got a lot of great feedback on it, a lot of great questions. Turned out really well, so I'm really excited for that next one coming up. I brought Todd back because I wanted to do something a little bit different this episode, and the best way to start this is to give a little bit of a context or give a little bit of a story, and so a couple factors kind of coalesced for me. So We're recording this in March of 2024. Back in December, my family was like, okay, hey, which Christmas movies are we going to want to watch this year? I want this one. I want this one. And it just kind of struck me as, yeah, each December, we kind of come to this point where we're deciding which movies can we not live without watching or it just isn't the Christmas spirit. And it's kind of a little bit of social pressure in some ways and don't really love it, but just kind of acknowledged it as usual and and moved on. Then the Oscars, the nominations were announced. You and I love movies. And last year we sat and had a great time watching it for the first time altogether in a while. I had seen the most amount of movies that were nominated in a very long time. And then kind of this anxiety crept in of, oh crap, most of these I haven't seen yet. And a lot of them I can't even get to the point of seeing and feeling bad about not being able to like Oh, no, I'm not going to enjoy the Oscars as much this year. Boo-hoo me. The one last factor here was I got an email from Paramount Plus with Showtime saying my annual renewal for them, that channel, that streaming channel, was going to come through. And I thought to myself, wait, what am I watching on there? And I'm like, okay, there's Star Trek. There's some Colbert stuff sometimes. And I've been watching Frasier. There's still a lot of great stuff on there. However, is it worth me renewing for another year, especially in the light of rumored talks that Paramount Plus and Universal, who owns Peacock, are going to somehow merge those two things together. So 
I say all that to say, wait, why are we talking about this when it comes to a productivity podcast? And you may have gotten a little bit of a hint of it. It's this overwhelming or overarching theme of anxiety and self-sabotaging ourselves and inducing that anxiety because we have certain self-imposed expectations or rules upon ourselves when it comes to something even as simple as something we should just be enjoying downtime or designated intentional time of watching and resting when it comes to TV and movies. Yep. And you hit the nail on the head there that even this thing that is supposed to be enjoyable brings anxiety with it because the culture that we live in is so information and so media driven now. But that media is like in many ways no longer enriching us in ways that it did in the past where it was a film or a television show that we watched that we really looked forward to or that enlightened the way that we look at the world, maybe, you know, showed us a different aspect of society that we hadn't seen before. And all that still exists and all that is still out there. Like, you know, this year's Academy Awards, the movies are great. There's a great slew of films out there, but that just happens to be that our society has sort of shifted into a much more at-home entertainment experience rather than a theatrical movie experience. The distribution is much more international for films this year. So, you know, if you live in a smaller town, you might not have a lot of the international films that are nominated. But again, all this sort of anxiety of going, oh, no, like I haven't seen it. You know, it's not going to be the same. I remember you came to me. And expressed that thought and it's kind of like, oh, you know, uh, I'm not looking forward to the Oscars as much this year because, you know, I haven't seen them. It's sort of a bummer. And I just kind of had to say, well, too bad. Like, you know, <laughs> it's going to be different and that's fine. You've got to prioritize what is important to you and what's not. And if it's not, that's OK. And even if it is a priority, can I be OK with this? Because, I mean, for me. Last year was an anomaly because I had kind of given up on the Oscars, not really watching them as often or trying to keep up with the race of have I watched everything that's on the slate? Have I checked box? Oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that when it comes to the slate of nominees. It wasn't 100 percent last year either, but it was 75, 80 percent, which was kind of cool. It was a good chunk of them. And I know like, you know, not that this is an entertainment podcast, it's a productivity podcast, but a little bit, you know, insider in the business is that the Oscars are aware of wanting to be a more listener friendly show and they want to nominate. This all started with Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. That's when the categories expanded from five movies to ten because they realized that a large portion of the population wasn't watching, you know, Oscar movies. So they extended, you know, the nominations up to ten, which has continued. But as the Academy has expanded in their membership, which is an initiative on their part to try and diversify the Academy, it's also become much more international. So you see more international or foreign films, what might be kind of pejoratively described as art films (laughs) or (laughs) arty films nominated. That's always been the case, but it can be a little bit ostracizing. So to get off the sort of industry aspect of that and more kind of into, okay, why are we, you know, again, talking about this, I think at the heart of what you're talking about, what I'm experiencing and what I'm sure a lot of other listeners out there are experiencing is I miss the time when the culture was all talking about one thing, monoculture, like, you know, and monoculture 
is no longer the case. You know, the internet and technology has bifurcated our entire society where we can live within our own unique echo chambers. And that not only, you know, relates to our news input, which that gets a lot of press, but also just our general entertainment input. And we no longer have as many communal experiences as we once did when it comes to our film and and television shows. Yeah, it kind of gets to the the why behind the why, you know, I'm thinking, well, why do I have this anxiety? Why do I feel like I'm not going to enjoy this as much if I'm not prepared as much? And have, have, have you come to the conclusion as why? Well, I think the reason is my initial why is, oh, it's, I'm just not going to be prepared enough so it won't be as enjoyable. But the real why behind that why is because it's a communal experience. And I feel like if I don't have anything to contribute or if I don't have a give and take, you know, but I realize that we're all going to have gaps. We all have our sh- list of shame <laughs> ongoing in our lives, but also temporarily in the immediate here and now when it comes to new stuff that has come out that is nominated. And so I thought, well, wait a second. So the real point here is the communal aspect. It's the connection. And so I can be okay with I mean, honestly, I've probably watched 10, 15 percent of what's nominated, maybe 20. I don't know. Can't even gauge. And at this point, I've kind of let it go and I'm okay with it because it'll still be enjoyable. It's kind of like with the Super Bowl. I'm not following the season all season, but I can get into the game and I can enjoy the game and have a real fun time with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think that that you're really correct into what we really want to kind of explore today is just a little bit of this, and this comes up time and time again on the show, that, you know, but uh, self-awareness and being aware of, okay, why is it precisely that I do watch what I watch or pursue what I do? It doesn't have to be rocket science. Sometimes, you know, it is just fun and that's fun. There's nothing wrong with just a mindless, you know, sitcom or just a reality TV show to unwind you know, at the end of the day. But oftentimes I think that we find ourselves, you know, just being completely at a loss for what it is that we want to watch, you know, and then other times I think that we have this fallacy like within ourselves that, oh, movies and television are just empty calories. There's no real benefit in this. Why am I doing this? I'd probably be better off with my time reading a book or, you know, engaging in something that would be more, quote unquote, self-improvement rather than, you know, watching film intelligent. I'm here to call that out, at least for me personally. I think that that's untrue. I think that media, you know, specifically film, has always been an integral part of the culture. It's been an integral part of our society, pushing society boundaries forward, you know, letting us see other individuals, sociopolitical situations in a whole new light. Through movies, we can go to places and experience things that we never can, you know, in real life. And I think that that is important developmentally i know for me that was hugely important growing up in a small town in indiana like you know but seeing you know a, a world through that and and having my perspectives changed and and challenged through film so i you know am here today a little bit to say well i think that that's great but how do we manage that in a world where it's just a deluge when it's just a faucet that has now been turned on is a fire hose of i hate this word i know you do content like you know but it is just content coming through so this is a little bit about you know a healthy media diet and a curation of what it is that we're intentional about what we're watching 
And I feel that too. And I mean, I've called this out. I'm a Trekkie. Even I mentioned it in this episode so far, but uh, I can think back to Star Trek, the next generation when it was airing and you had to be there or you missed it. And some of the episodes that I saw, especially when I rewatched as an adult, some of those episodes and realized some of the just groundbreaking and foundational sci-fi slash social things that it ingrained in me when I was young. If I can ever meet any of those cast members, I will tell them that and say thank you so much. But yeah, it gets to the point where, I mean, to going back to the productivity of it all and what we address with the show, I think one of the things that we constantly are fighting is this, we want to be using our time to the fullest. We want a carpe diem. And yet that doesn't mean hustling at all moments. It also means rest. But then it's like, what's the balance there? How do we intentionally call out time for rest? But then when we get to that time for rest, know what we're going to do with it by being intentional with it. But at the same time, not just sitting down and like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, trying to figure out what it is through all these options that we have. I can just, you know, see listeners out there now just saying that they completely relate with that. How many of us have gone to sit down at night and say, "Okay, I want to relax. And we spend, you know, an hour just scrolling through what it is that, you know, there is to watch. And we end up essentially doom scrolling on Netflix, you know, rather than doom scrolling on on Twitter and end up watching nothing, you know, or just start something and stop. And it's that paralysis of choice. Like, you know, we are paralyzed by everything that's out there because we think that we need to be engaged in everything that's out there. And that is a fallacy. So I think that we wanted to, you know, kind of share some tips and tricks and just some things that, you know, we've kind of done in our friendship and our friendship circles to kind of create systems of curation and systems of media diet that are a little bit more, like I said, curated or regulated. And one of those key things is quite a few years back, we started doing what we called West Wing Wednesdays. You know, Aaron Sorkin's seminal show, The West Wing, I know became incredibly popular again post-2016 for, you know, reasons we won't go into now. But around, you know, I was actually a little bit previous to that time. That was more right like, then, you know, like- around 2015. We consciously decided that we wanted to get together with a group of our friends who had shared interest, you know, not only in politics, but in good, you know, television and screenwriting and get together every Wednesday, just like you would for a poker night or for any other, you know, a movie night, but to make our way through the West Wing. That became a weekly thing. It became something that we definitely had to look forward to that entire week. And it, you know, sort of regulated that portion of the media digest said, okay, this is what we're going to watch. And we loved it. We did what all seven seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And there were people that like for me had never watched it and caught up quickly. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. The other cool thing was that there was the podcast West Wing Weekly that was coming out at that time on Wednesdays. So every Wednesday morning, a new one would drop. And sometimes it was. Some of us would have listened to that episode already and then say, hey, let's watch that episode that they just covered tonight and we'll have our own commentary and call stuff out that, you know, they had brought attention to, et cetera. And it was a great show. Honestly, if you're doing a rewatch podcast, people go check out what they did. It was Rishikesh Hirway from Sound Exploder and um, Josh Molina, Josh Molina, who was one of the people on the show. Yeah. So which again, that's that's interesting, you know, that you bring that up, you know, in terms of a podcast, because I think a lot of times what podcasts are doing now 
is that they are filling that social gap, you yes. know, of where people went. Okay, we went to go see Dune 2 last night. Yes. You know, incredible movie. I highly, highly recommend it. Go see it in the biggest screen possible. See it in IMAX if you can. It was an experience. What is the first thing that I want to do when I get out of the movies? You want to talk about it with yeah. the people that you went to the movies with. You want to discuss it. You want to say this was my favorite part or maybe I didn't like this or this really excited me. And so much now, like I think of podcast is that experience of, okay, we want to have almost this parasocial experience of listening to what people thought about something. I think that's a great thing. Obviously, we're on a podcast. We love that medium. However, it's important that we have real relationships yes. with people and actually talk to them about art and culture that wait, we're engaging with. Wait, so you're saying all these podcasters aren't my friends in real life? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Actually, I know this is another cool thing that you do when it comes to deciding what you're going to watch is let a podcast dictate that. Yeah. For you. Yeah, absolutely. So I was talking a little bit earlier about that kind of anxiety of scrolling or doing whatever. Myself, I am a big film fan. I'm a big fan also of the podcast Blank Check. Real quickly, Blank Check is just a, it's a great podcast. They've been around for years and years now, I think 400 plus episodes. And what they do is that they cover the entire filmography of a director. So for instance, you know, if they're just going to do Stanley Kubrick, they'll do every Kubrick film from beginning to end. You know, with some exceptions, they'll do some contemporary films or things that are just thrown in for fun. But what I really, really love about this is I love this show. I love knowing that they're doing a director. And so, for instance, a few months back, they were doing Stanley Kubrick. And so I just watched along. I knew that that was going to be, you know, for instance, this week was going to be The Shining. I'm going to watch this, The Shining. This week's going to be 2001. I'm going to watch 2001. And that really became like a, hey, it was almost like having a book club. For yeah. movies, you know, that was done through this podcast and it eliminated a lot of the anxiety of what I was going to watch in a given week. I just say, well, no, I know that I'm doing Kubrick and that's, you know, what I'm going through. Maybe not for everyone, but if you enjoy really being a completist the way that I do and you really enjoy just covering the entirety of a filmography, that is a great option. Another option for something like that, if maybe you're not wanting to do an entire you know, filmography, is going to some of the wonderful lists that are out there. The AFI Top 100 has compiled an incredible list of the top 100 films of all time. If you're into international cinema or like stuff that is a little bit more obscure or, you know, off the beaten path, then a really interesting list is the sight and sound list. Every 10 years, a huge group of international filmmakers, journalists, critics from all around the world vote on the 100 best movies of all time. And they do it, you know, every 10 years. It's called the sight and sound poll. And that is a really great way of diversifying some of the content that you might be into. You find more international films, find some more independent films, as well as blockbusters. You know, it, it ranges the, the whole gambit. But for some people, working their way through a list is a way of maybe managing a little bit of that anxiety about what they're going to watch. But it also, it creates a syllabus, if you will, that, yeah. you know, for a lot of people is just a healthier way to, to go, okay, this is what I'm doing. And what's great is there's also this term called decision fatigue, which is somewhat what we're addressing here. And part of what causes that anxiety is we're already pressed with choices left and right all day long, constantly, that whenever we say a yes, 
all the knows we should be used to this now with the term the multiverse mm. is that well if this character makes this decision then these all these other variants don't end up happening or so and so etc but that's decision fatigue is we get presented with decisions over and over and so if we have to continue to decide one of the most obvious or most well-known examples of someone who eliminated decision fatigue from their life in a certain way was Steve Jobs where he would wear the black turtleneck. In other words, he wasn't expending energy on deciding what he was going to wear every day. It was the jeans and the black turtleneck. Now, with that minor decision removed, he had one less decision every day that he had to make. And that's kind of what we're saying here is decide that you're going to let someone else in some way, shape, or form decide for you, but you're still intentional because you're deciding that decision. And then now that decision is done and you're going through that for a while, whichever mode you choose. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the primary decision anxiety, at least, you know, within my friendship circles, and I don't know if this resonates with you, really revolves primarily around television. What show are we watching, you know, or the stress of, oh, this really met its, you know, zenith with Game of Thrones. I know when people just were like, oh, I've got to catch up on Game of Thrones. I've got to be watching this show that everyone is talking about. Now, for me, in my own personal media diet, I've found that that kind of FOMO mixed with just overwhelming amounts of television have made me regulate that diet in so much as I don't watch television during the week. I've just decided that that will be, you know, again, because I've chose what film, you know, that I'm going to be watching, I just know that that is two hours or, you know, an hour and a half, depending on what it is that I have set aside and I'm not going to watch television during the week. I reserve that for the weekend and I am only watching one or perhaps two given shows at a time, depending on like typically depending on HBO's Sunday night lineup, to be honest with you, whether there's just a really great HBO show on Sunday. But I just want to limit it down to that one. And to be frank, you know, with everyone, it's usually the one you're watching. <laughs> it's yeah, usually it's the one that it's you true. and I are watching together. Yeah, like we did uh, We did Last of Us. It was just the two of us. Yep. Nobody else joined in on that one. Yeah. That one was a little different. We um, did Westworld for a long time Westworld, together. I'm you trying know. to think of what else. Uh, Mayor of Easttown. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's whatever the event thing is. White Lotus. Is yep, White one, Lotus. Yeah, you know, so but being able to just say to yourself, hey, that's going to be my sort of dessert over the weekend mm-hmm. is and maybe I missed a couple episodes. So I do binge a little bit like over the weekend because that's the time for it. But much more regulation in the diet throughout the week to just limit that to either a movie or a little bit of YouTube. I know for a lot of people, YouTube has just become a really great way to say, hey, this is a 15 or 20 minute thing that I can watch and it's not going to take up my whole night, but it's going to give me a little bit of relaxation and downtime. I know for a lot of people that's reality TV. That's not my thing per se. Um, every once in a while, maybe a little HGTV for me. Like you That's know, more my reality speed. Yeah, as well. a little, little House Hunters International or something. But, you know, I think for a lot of people, like I said, reality TV I scratches that itch a little bit. But yeah, just regulating your diet and being aware of what your intake is and being aware of how to limit that. It's sort of like meal planning for television. It like, is. you know, you're just uh, doing a meal plan for TV throughout that week. That way you don't find yourself busting into the freezer and the tub of ice cream at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, in the way that we often refer to consuming media, mm. It's the same thing with consuming food. You want to have a plan ahead of time and have 
the meal prepped already. You know what you're going to do and why you're doing it, and you're varying it. Don't go to the grocery store hungry. I love my dogs like I love my children. I care about them, well, one more than the other, but we won't get into that. But I am committed to giving them both the best. And if you feel that way too, like your dog is a member of the family, then you've got to serve them top quality food that they deserve. Serve them Nom Nom. Nom Nom's made with 100% premium ingredients. That means zero fillers or funky stuff. My dogs love these great tasting meals. And their nutritional needs are different than ours. That's why Nom Nom's nutrient-packed recipes are developed by board-certified veterinary nutritionists. Freshly made and shipped free to your door. Right now, you can get a 50% no-risk two-week trial at trinom.com slash beyond. Say goodbye to boring dog food. Your dog deserves a reason to run to their bowl every single meal, every single day. And all dogs are individuals, so they deserve to be served like it. Nom Nom delivers freshly made dog food personalized to your dog's preferences and unique caloric needs. And again, 100% premium ingredients, no funky stuff. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash beyond. That's trynom.com slash beyond for 50% off. Trynom.com slash beyond. When it comes to hiring, don't search for great talent. Match with them, thanks to Indeed. With Indeed, you can ditch that busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Indeed leverages over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, making their matching engine your go-to because it's constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use it, the better it gets. I used to be involved giving my input into the hiring process for a few key roles that were connected to mine. And man, do I wish we had Indeed back then because we could have gotten much higher quality hires using Indeed. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more more visibility on indeed.com at indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond 
Well, and so we've got some other thoughts and, and kind of tips and tricks, I guess. It wouldn't be a productivity show without some tips, tricks, and hacks, would it? So uh, we've kind of mentioned some of these already, where it's, you know, time and place or eliminating decision fatigue. There's actually some other things we've got that fall into eliminating decision fatigue. I know you've got like a Netflix hack that you use. Yeah, for me, like, you know, oftentimes if you are scrolling through Netflix now, mind you, this is always a little tenuous with Netflix because things come and go. Now, obviously, like you can add things to your queue on Netflix, you know, you know you've know, you been able to do that for the service for years. But a lot of times when I do that, that the queue becomes like another anxiety. like bearing. It's an overwhelming giant to do list of what I have to watch so to speak. Yes. So what I'll often do, like if it's a film specifically or something that I say, oh, well, like I know that, for instance, Kurosawa's Seventh Samurai was on Netflix, you know, a while back. I'll just start watching it. I might start watching it. It might be only five minutes, 10 minutes of it. But then if I stop, it actually just sits there in my recently played and it's a keep watching. Yep. It's a keep watching, but it's a visual representation of, oh yeah, that's right. That was there. And I really love that. I've made the choice to start that. You know, I want to start again. Maybe, you know, well, I will just split it up over a couple of days of watching it that way. That's something that I sort of lament about cable is coming in on a film midway. Yeah. You know? That's why I love flipping the channels on the hotel TV. Yes, yes. Because then you, I mean, and now here's the thing. I will bring an Apple TV with me to plug in so I can still decide what I want. You but did that when we went to New York. Yes, and it's really helpful with family because it's like, hey, we're here. Hey, there's this thing we want to watch. Let's actually do that versus flipping channels. But serendipitous just discovery is still so much fun. And commercials, for that matter, sometimes, too. Yep. No, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've checked out the freebie service, you know, uh, quite a bit on Amazon, which is a good recommendation. Maybe you're on a budget. Maybe you're in college. You can't afford all of these streaming services. We'll get to a little bit of that later, some financial hacks that yes. you can maybe use. But freebie is a, a cool service by Amazon where there's a lot of stuff on there, and it's probably not as nostalgic for college kids to have commercials. Maybe it is. I've actually talked to parents who say that their kids are really intrigued by commercials. Yeah, I mean, sometimes with Amazon turning, even though you pay for Prime, if you're watching Amazon video, you now, unless you pay for it, are going to get like two ads right up front. And I have thoughts. I will hold them. Mm -hmm. But uh, beyond that, though, actually, so I've got a hack that's kind of similar to your Netflix hack, but it's on the Apple TV, which I prefer the Apple TV as my media streaming device of choice. The UI is very slick. on The it. UI is slick. You can customize it. I actually, and here's a real cool bonus. I got one for my brother who has some disability issues. His vision, he's legally blind, but he can see things mm -hmm. and he can watch things. I was able to set up a bunch of the accessibility stuff in the Apple TV for him. And he's been able to do so much more with it, with voice activation and open this and that yeah. and, and all of that. So I'm really happy about that. But for myself personally and my family, I do the same kind of thing where I'll open and play a bunch of different stuff in a bunch of the different streaming platforms. But Apple TV brings all of them except for Netflix, which doesn't play nice. And I don't know why. And <laughs> they're missing out because I then tend to use Netflix a little bit less. But it has this thing where it's a top shelf on the home screen. I can hover over the Apple TV icon and then at the top I can scroll through everything that I've watched or been watching recently, movies, TV, et cetera. And I can say, okay, no, no, no. Oh, maybe, 
Oh, there it is. And just click play, drops me right in the app, starts the show or movie right back up. Mm-hmm. And it saves me one. It's, it's so frictionless. That's one of the things that's cool is it saves you so much time from having to. Again, decision making fatigue. It's not, there. Yes. Like, you know. One, I'm not jumping from streaming service to streaming service to see what there is that's new what it was that I was watching, what's in my queue or my list there. Googling where can I stream? (laughs) Where can I stream this? No, you've already done some of that. Like, now that's not to say don't do some of that. Like, jump into a streaming service, look around a little bit, hit play on a bunch of stuff, and then it'll show up in that stream there. But it's all together. So it's all across all those platforms. The other really cool reason that I like it is no ads. Even on the Roku, which is kind of my second favorite, which is built into my two TVs, and I used to have a Roku that I would take to hotels. Oh, my gosh. I just can't stand the fact that they've got all these random things that kind of come and go ad wise that are all over the place. And I keep feeling like I've got to constantly turn them off. So, you know, I am an Apple ecosystem person. But besides that, I have found it's just very essential for me. Yeah, for in terms sure. of reducing that friction and decision fatigue. So, yeah, well, the state of the streaming industry is sort of interesting, you know, now and like it is very precarious, like, you know, for people who maybe don't follow, you know, the the business aspect of this, there is a lot of moving and shaking going around. There's been rumors of Paramount Plus, like you said, merging with Peacock. But outside of just the sort of tenuousness of the streaming business in general, there's basically just anxiety everywhere where things on streaming services are actually just disappearing. So that kind of leads me into a, a little bit of not a hack per se, but a little bit of just a, a moment to speak up a little bit for physical media. Physical media has clearly sort of gone out of fashion, you know, as we've digitized our entire world. That is understandable. It is convenient. It is so much easier to travel with, etc. But the more and more that I, you know, have looked into this and, you know, seen about sort of, like I said, the tenuous nature of some of the the licensing here, the more and more I want to make sure that the number one things that I really, really love I have on physical media. And I know that that can seem like it's super expensive to do, but believe it or not, if you look out there, you know, on Amazon, online, you can get Blu-rays for as little as seven or eight bucks out Even there. five, yeah. I have found sometimes just regular Blu-ray, not 4K Blu-ray. But, mm-hmm. And I've even gone and I've got a 4K Blu-ray player. I'll actually do, you know, 4K Blu-ray and then sort by price and get down into the under nine ninety nine on some of those and just scroll and be like, whoa, Shawshank Redemption, my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. 4K Blu-ray for nine ninety nine. Yes, please. Yep. Another great tip, if you're willing. It's a little bit risky, but typically if they've got good ratings, you know, you can trust this is you can pick up an entire library of people's Blu-rays on eBay. A lot yes. of times people are selling off huge collections because they have digitized or whatever. And so you can go in and grab 30, 40, 60, you know, Blu-rays for an incredibly, incredibly low price. So that's something. But speaking of libraries... The public library in your local town has probably got an incredible collection of movies and TV shows that maybe you didn't know are just sitting right there. And the public library is a great source, especially for parents. If you're on a budget and you need to eliminate a few of these streaming services, maybe you can't you know, afford to have Disney Plus or your kids like really aren't using it. The public library is an amazing resource to find DVDs and Blu-rays of all different genres and types. Yeah, and they've got complete series of TV shows. 
not just individual seasons often. I mean, this is what we used to do. We'd go and get, well, okay, we've got the entire first season of Battlestar Galactica. That's how I watched The Sopranos. I mean, that's... just went through because I right. couldn't afford HBO then and just went through uh, using the library. So it's a great resource that sometimes, you know, is underutilized. I think that people can be reminded that, hey, there's a lot of good stuff there. So Yeah, that was one of the things that as we were moving from college age to post-college age to young adult with kids age and so on, like there was a big library season in there where it was you'd go once a week and you'd return stuff and grab new stuff and you'd see what there was. And it was kind of a it was a social outing. It was an excitement. And well, and, and that's saying, again, maybe we're looking back at the past with rose colored glasses the way that all generations do. But, you know, that amazing aspect of going to the video store. <laughs> and maybe they had what you wanted, but maybe they didn't, you know, and you had to try something else. But just that social act of going together with your friends, some of the fondest memories in my life were riding my bike up to the video store with my friends and, uh, you know, picking out what we were going to watch that night. That time has, has gone on, but the social aspect of it doesn't need to. I think that's, you know, yeah. really the the primary takeaway with this. One other aspect that we did want to kind of touch on just in terms of that, financial aspect of it is the fact of the matter is that you know i'm sure all households know that this is getting a little out of control yeah. that the streaming services for a while it was great because we thought well it's really just netflix but then you know it became hbo now it's hbo netflix paramount plus peacock you know some people are doing tubi some people like amazon, you know amazon Prime video or amazon Prime video. video the criterion collection if you're a fan of manga maybe the, you're doing Crunchyroll. like there are so many out there that the prices have creeped right back up if not exceeding what we were paying for cable so a few little tips and tricks I know that Eric wanted to mention was just kind of handling yeah. those services. So we've mentioned a couple times now Paramount Plus Peacock potential merger. I'd like to see that one happen because I think both those libraries could complement each other, especially being in the same place for hopefully a, a reasonable price point. I think that's the key here is the, the price point has to be right, but whatever. Well, and, and maybe if you're lucky, you can get a deal like I did when Disney Plus first came out. I was able to get Disney Plus for three years right before it launched for like 180 bucks mm -hmm. for three years. And, you know, what was that? 36, you know, so you divide 180 by 36. It came out to be like three bucks a month mm -hmm. for three years, which was amazing. So a key little reminder for listeners out there for deals like that, those deals typically start appearing for Christmas. You can yes. find Black Friday deals on streaming services. But if you just put into your your Google alerts, like, you know, a Disney Plus deal or X amount streaming service deal, like a lot of times you will see that throughout the year they run these specials. The other thing that is becoming sort of key and like a lot of people might not know is that some of these services are bundling yeah. together. So, you know, you can bundle, you bundle your Hulu and your Disney Plus Hulu together. Hulu and Disney Plus are bundled. And what's interesting there is they are actually merging those two. I've actually been watching stuff that's on Hulu inside of Disney Plus, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. Yeah, listeners might not know, but in the rest of the world, they're already bundled they're together. They're already doing that, yeah. Yep. And, and it's inevitable. That's going to be a like a done deal, a thing. And then if I was able to remove ESPN from my bundle and pay less, that'd be great. But as things are able to be bundled, look for those. The other key piece here is you don't have to have all of them at any given time. I mean, even our friend and his family was like, you know, kind of did a quick gauge of, hey, is anybody watching Netflix at all right now? 
No, let's turn that off for a few months. Mm-hmm. Or same people, they wouldn't have HBO year round back in the Game of Thrones. They did days. it for Thrones. Yep. They'd turn it on for the two to three months that Thrones was every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And then they would catch up on other stuff, too, while they had that window of it turned on. That's another great way to do it is just turn one of the channels on. Let's lean into the positives and potential here that we couldn't get with cable where you had to call up and you had to turn it on and then you would have to make an excuse. Like you can flip a switch in your account on and off month to month. And that was kind of my question because I think the anxiety, again, produced in people is they're like, well, I don't want to have to call and cancel. I don't want to have to do that. How do you do that quickly in a way that it's really just the touch of a button? Yeah, I could go into Hulu right now and I could go into my settings and I could go to billing and I could just say cancel or turn off or pause. All or most of them have this option. And if you do your subscriptions through Apple, actually, like for a long time, I had done my subscriptions through Apple to HBO whenever. There's actually a little toggle that you can literally just go into your subscription setting and toggle it on and off for various subscription services. So, again, it's just being aware of are we using this? Aren't we watching it? What can we cut back on? Now, mind you, when you do that, maybe you're not taking advantage of the greatest deal because a lot of times now this is, you know, you're signing up for a, a full year. If you do have the funds to do that, oftentimes always be aware that signing up for a full year is going to give you usually a better deal. Now, Netflix doesn't offer that, you know, no. but, you know, other services do. I know the Criterion channel and a number of other services, you can get a pretty significant discount if you want to pay a whole year at a time. Yeah, I think I got a a full year of stars, which has some stuff that no one else has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I got a full year of stars for like 25 bucks. And I'm just like, that's ridiculously low when you do the math. Yeah, for sure. So, well, actually kind of wrapping things up here, you know, I just wanted to... Really just reiterate the point of today, and this is the point of kind of this unorthodox, but yeah. just sort of more freewheeling show, not only was kind of to celebrate the Oscars coming here on Sunday and to just talk a little bit about the state of media, but really to reinforce the fact that the anxiety that poor Eric here was experiencing, <laughs> the anxiety that I think a lot of people experience when it comes to what should I be watching, you know, what's happening in the media can really be alleviated by taking some time to just do some reflection on what's important to you. What are you and your family really bonding over? What types of shows really bring you together and your friend groups? Yeah. And again, it's it's all about eliminating decisions, alleviate decision fatigue. You can save money. You can save time. You can reduce friction in all of these things. And one thing I want to call out is, you know, we also are avid, I would say avid readers to a point as well as music appreciators. And we haven't even gone into like the stacks of books that people have that give them guilt of not Mm -hmm. having read through them. Mine's my New Yorker subscription. There you go. (laughs) It comes every week and, and, and starts to pile up. But a lot of these Like I said previously, a lot of this uh, thinking has been applied to book clubs, you know, or to to reading in the past. And it's really just trying to look at, you know, your your media in more of a book club sort of mindset. Let's be conscious about what we're reading. Read that together in groups. Well, let's be conscious about what we're watching and watch that together, like in groups, not necessarily in person. You know, you may have 
friends spread out all over the country. We all know now, like, you know, that that's no longer a limitation. I actually am still engaging a little bit with sort of watch party live type apps. Yeah, the you watch know. party functionality in some of these. Yeah, because I've got friends, you know, in California and friends out west where, you know, I don't get to see them, but I want to have an experience with, a, you know, a film or with a, with a TV show. So yeah. I know that that's thought of as like a COVID thing. But, you know, it doesn't have to be. There's still right. people you're close to that you might want to connect with about TV or media that, you know, you can do this with. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing we want to emphasize is just the power that this has for connection and that that is something that I was realizing or thought was being jeopardized but wasn't in my whole anxiety spiel of my opening story there. One of the things is Nick Gray, his like cocktail party oh, yeah. episode. I want to call that out. I'm going to link, we'll link up to that in the show notes for this episode, but it's basically creating social groups or dinner, not dinner parties, but cocktail parties don't have to have cocktails, but, no. but this would be a great way to do that. One of the things that you and I and another friend kicked around was what if we did a list of shame? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, consistent yeah. watching where, uh, you know, uh, for example, I've never, I think it was last night, I confessed, I have not seen Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. And you guys are like, you haven't seen that? I'm like, no, there's by far worse things that I have not ever seen that are on that list. And it's, that's like, oh, well, we should get together and we should, you know, if one of us have, is if at least one of us hasn't seen it. It's a great idea to have that be our rolling list. So Fun game that I used to play with my old roommates in New York that we would go to the Blockbuster right there on uh, you know Broadway. Not the Broadway, but Broadway in Astoria where we lived. And we would go into the Blockbuster and the game was that you had to pick the film that you've lied about your whole life that there you, you said that you've yep. seen but you haven't actually seen. So, you know, it's that, that sort of fun thing. So... But yeah, we just we wanted to do something unconventional with this conversation. You know, we're we're used to talking with people about hard boiled productivity tips. It's like, no, productivity is about being intentional with your use of time and And that intentionality and, seeps into all aspects yes, of our lives. Every know? aspect and doing it in a way that you're guilt free. It's kind of like Kendra Adachi's lazy genius way, where she's like, be a genius about some things, be lazy about the other things that don't matter. And that way, again, it's decision fatigue. You've already decided which things you're gonna be meticulous about and that's okay, and which things you're gonna be lax about and that's okay. So Well, that's awesome and this has been a lot of fun. And yeah. hey, for all of you out there if you've got productivity tricks, tips when it comes to, you know, your entertainment, your media diet, streaming, you know, things that maybe we've not heard about, write in. We've yeah. got this mailbag episode coming up, so we'd love to hear from you about, like, you know, what it is that, you know, you do in your media diet and how you found unique tricks to regulate that and, like, what you do with your kids, anything. So if you want to shoot those to us, go over to beyondthetodolist.com. You can hit the contact button, send us a message. We'll get it. Thank you so much for that. You can send us uh, your tips, tricks, but also your questions for the upcoming mailbag. If you found this conversation helpful, and we hope you did, it's nice to have something a little bit different. But if you found something cool, like a tip, a trick, a, you know, an approach from this that you know somebody else needs to hear it, do us the favor of hitting that share button wherever you're listening to this. Send it on over to them. Let them know about this episode or even share it on social talk about you know hey i hadn't thought about this this and this and uh eric and todd brought this up and i'm kind of curious what you think and you can post it on social either way you do it we'd love for you to share to spread the word about this podcast thank you so much for sharing 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Next episode. episode.